Welcome to Narratives and Gaps, the book club podcast where we dive into the details of a novel, pair it with a fitting nightcap, and then leave a little review when all is said and done, like we are today. I'm Bree. And I'm Megan. And we are wrapping up the Midnight Library. So we broke this into three parts, and this is part three. Woo-hoo, we're almost done. Almost done. And... With this novel, Megan paired mojitos. Still sipping on it. Cheers to that. Cheers. Wait, we can like real cheers. Oh yeah, we're together. Fun fact. Got it. Sorry. I'll edit that view. That probably wasn't pretty. But But the clang was real. (laughs) The the clink was was a real clink this time, not just a big cheers. Yes. And uh, also bear with us because we had wine prior to this because we're together. Yeah. So it's entirely possible that words will not sound the way that they're supposed to. No. All right. Well, should we dive right in? Yeah. I I am excited to pick up where we left off because once again, I've just been so impressed with this book. I have loved reading it. I have read through it so fast because I can't wait to get to the next part. So I'm excited to share. The, the finale, the grand finale. Yay. Let's get I, to it. I can't wait to hear your final thoughts. So, okay, let's recap though really quick, just what we talked about um, for part one and part two. Sorry, Mojito. So as we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, Nora Seed decided to die. She's been in a place called the Midnight Library, which is between life and death. And last week, we read about several different lives that Nora was experiencing with the different books that she has picked up. So there was her life as an Olympian, her life as a glaciologist, where she met Hugo, someone who is going through the same experience or a very similar experience, jumping to different lives or alternate lives. Um, She got to see her life of fame when she was the lead singer for the Labyrinths. And then we left off just after the chapter called A Dental Life. And we're picking up now in Why Want Another Universe if this one has dogs. Excellent Um, summary, Brie. Excellent. Thank you. (laughs) Let me attempt to scroll on my one screen because I don't know how to function. (laughs) So in that chapter, Why Want Another Life if this one has dogs, which I completely agree with, Nora is walking to dinner with her boyfriend, or her boyfriend in this life at least, who is Dylan. They pass by String Theory, which is where Nora was working in her root life, and actually she had just been let go right before she decided to die. And in this life, String Theory is closed. On their walk, Nora also sees Ash, the man who had always showed her kindness and had been the one to knock on her door when her cat had passed away. And so she sees him in this life and says hello as he runs by. And But in this life, he doesn't know who she is. So he's kind of confused, but again, like gives her just this kind smile, um, but doesn't know who she is. And Dylan, her boyfriend, asks her, you know, who was that? And all she says to him is someone she, quote, knew in another life. And it's just so fitting, but it's also something I think that people say every day. Yes, for sure. Like, oh, I knew them in a past life, in a past experience. But Maybe they're jumping through lives. Right. They could be. What I love, though, is, um, and I'm sure you picked up on this, too, but the same note was left in the string theory window. And that's been consistent. Like every time she goes by and it's been closed, it's the same um, couple of song titles as quotes for why they've left. It's very creative. It's funny. I feel like it makes sense for Neil, the owner, from what little we know about him. But it just sounds very fitting. And of course, it's consistent in this life as well. Because even though Nora has changed a lot, some people haven't. And it's kind of nice to see that her previous boss never did. Yeah. It's, it is interesting to me too, how 
So that piece of it, it has been pretty consistent or is consistent with string theory closing in these alternate lives, but then just how the littlest details throw off other things. Mm -hmm. It's like, why does this one piece stay the same? I don't know. And I think the other thing too, that stays the same. And we mentioned this last episode is Ash. Like he keeps reappearing in her lives, even in like the most instant. I mean, in this case, he's just running by, but like he keeps reappearing. So obviously, you know, he's got to mean something to her. And he keeps reappearing and it's always in this very kind way, which if we think about you know, many of the other people that have kind of not necessarily reappeared in these alternate lives, but have either been mentioned in some way, shape, or form, Mm -hmm. they always sort of have very significant differences. And Ash kind of seems the same, at least personality-wise. Like, he's just always gentle and kind when seeing Nora, even if he doesn't know her in the life. I I feel like that's gotta be kind of purposeful because I feel like Matt our boy Matt of course has been showing people's like true self kind of throughout these lives too like Nora's mental version of Dan and then the way he played out in her life with him kind of showed his true colors if you will but then with Ash like again he's been such a genteel kind of person where he's just very friendly and acknowledging whether he knows her or not And I feel like maybe that's just showing the true, like, root Ash, if you will. Like, that's just who he is as a person. He doesn't have to put on a guise or, or more so Nora hasn't built built him up in a different way than how he truly is, which is comforting, Uh, I think, in a way, too. It is. Yeah. No, he is. He's comforting. He's like a comforting piece to this story so far. We're now in the chapter, Dinner with Dylan. And at the restaurant that they've gone to, Nora recalls going with Dan to the same place in her root life. It's where Dan even first told her about his dream of owning the pub. But he was also rude to the waiters or waitresses when they were there. And she's recalling this memory, which, like, red flag from the start. I cannot stand anyone who, well, I mean, just as rude in any way, but especially to waiters and waitresses and hostesses. So um, Dylan's talking to Nora about dogs and school and even mentions like how she was always in the library and he took notice of that even when they were younger. And this makes Nora think of Mrs. Mrs. Elm and Dylan says he just saw her recently, but he he does note how she was looking quite frail for her age. So she's obviously much older in this alternate life and maybe is just looking, it's showing a little bit in the home that she's at. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it was, it sounded like she is going into like a care home or a care facility. So she's no longer this independent woman that Nora has her being in the library as well. She's not this strong figure, you know, she's, she's a real person that really is aging and with life, that kind of thing happens. Yeah. Mrs. Elm is definitely, at least in the midnight library, you know, she is that she's the image that Nora has from her childhood and not the time that has passed where Mrs. Elm really is today. And if you recall, even in previous chapters, there was almost a comparison to God. Like if Mrs. Elm is this godlike figure. So of course it's fitting that Mrs. Elm is at her prime or her peak or whatever that imagery that Nora has for her, because I'm sure in her head, that is what a godlike figure might be is someone that's young and agile and like still with it. And still part of that core memory where in reality, she really is a real human that's aging gracefully or not and she's she's needing extra assistance as she's getting up there yes so we're now in the chapter last chance saloon nora and dylan are going back to dylan's house and they watch last chance saloon which is the ryan bailey film aka her ex-boyfriend in what was her you know famous life singing for the labyrinths and Honestly, it kind of seems like Dylan's just rattling on in the background about dogs. And with all of that, Nora, it's not that Nora 
she's not sad, but like, she's not happy either. She just doesn't feel like this is really her place, the place that she wants to be. And in fact, she feels more like she's taking someone's place, more specifically the actual Nora that lives in this life. And she even says how, quote, Dylan deserved the other Nora, end quote, the one who actually loved him and fell in love with him. And so while she's pouring some wine sitting there, she sees a description of a man and a woman together on the wine bottle. And this is all while she's saying goodbye to the dog that's sitting with her. I love that part. As she fades away. I know. I loved it too. Um, so it's just so sweet. It but- is so sweet. And I feel like another piece to this that you just hit on is I feel like it's important to remember the aspect that she feels like she's taking someone else's place. Cause that does come up again a little bit later too. And I think it's interesting and like kind of foreshadowing that she has these feelings. Cause I, I mean, all along she's obviously been in her potential lives, but she's never really had necessarily that imposter syndrome. She's just kind of like, Oh, you know, just go with the flow. I'll, I'll try to like fake it till I make it. And now I feel like she's almost getting this like sentimental aspect to it of like, dang, I don't, you know, I don't feel good about sitting in this position. I don't feel like I'm the right person to love you or I'm the right person to have this life. The other Nora is. Right. It's, I mean, it is the guilt. And I, now that she is starting to see that and to feel that I, it would be hard not to, I mean, it's, it's such a weird position. It's like yourself, but at the same time, not, you would feel guilty in that way. Cause you're like, I am still taking someone else's place, mm-hmm. someone that has memories, someone that went through all of these motions. And I didn't, I'm just, I just showed up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just here. And so she, she's starting to feel guilty rather than just jumping through all of the different lives. Mm-hmm. So Buena Vista Vineyard, vineyard vineyard sorry (laughs) the wine is showing (laughs) is this next chapter and it's the next life that nora goes to because it resembles the wine bottle that she saw in dylan's house and in it she's married and living in california where they own a winery called as the title of the chapter says buena vista vineyard and I love how she notes like outward appearances are great. She's tan. She's in good shape. Again, she takes notice of her physical being. Of course. And, but in all of that, she thinks about how easy it is to actually just fake it through this life. And I think that's even as she says, like, quote, I'm just faking it or something along those lines. And I sort of thought, so when she said that, I thought this chapter was going to take a different turn mm-hmm. and it didn't I mean she just starts to talk to her husband in this life and as they're outside together and looking at the stars but again it's something is just missing it's not that anything is wrong per se or that she's depressed it's just that something's missing she wants more she wants other possibilities and so she fades away from this life on the vineyard what I thought was most interesting about this chapter too was her description of the silence because she like refers back to her encounter being a glaciologist where she's in this silence of you know being in nature and antarctica and you know having this kind of looming possibility in front of her because it's all just open and then this time the silence isn't necessarily so open and optimistic but it's not closing in on her either like as her and her husband that she doesn't really know sit together in silence it's more just comfortable like they don't have to fill in the silence right but again like you said there's definitely still something missing it's a a silence that almost makes her take notice of the silence because she's like I don't know what I what I'm doing here do I really like this do I not and I really am just kind of faking it in this life too it is and it's such I think it's such a gentle tug in that silence where she's realizing, okay, this isn't bad. You know, this seems like a nice life, good husband, but it's just this gentle tug in that silence that's saying, this isn't for you. This Mm -hmm. isn't where you're meant to be. And so then we're in the chapter, the many lives of Nora see where Nora decides to take Hugo's advice and just begins to explore 
many, 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 many different lives. I love this chapter because it was just this like a list so of like, cool. and she was this, and she was this, and she was this. I'm like, go girl, figure it out. Oh, I thought it was so cool. So she does. She experiences like so many different careers, new places, meets all these people, except for the fact that she does run into Hugo again. And of course they discuss like quantum physics and what's going on. Um, but after we've gone through that whole list of all of the things she's tried she realizes that she's starting to lose sight of herself and remember that she was always sort of looking for a purpose in her root life and she's not finding that by jumping around and it's interesting to me that as she starts to tell hugo this when they're talking this is when he fades away it's like he wants nothing he wants no part of the conversation about finding finding your purpose finding out where you're meant to be mm -hmm. and so he fades away in that moment it's it's like the classic like I can't hear you and then he's just gone into the mist I mean obviously his other being is there but the root self that is consciously aware of Nora. having met Nora and having being able to leap through all these lives is the one that's like I don't want to hear what you're saying oh, bye yes <laughs> so lost in the library is the next chapter and Nora returns to the library where everything is dark. Okay, it's not a good situation. And Nora knows it's not good. Um, although there there may be an infinite number of books for Nora to choose from, it's it is entirely possible that like she'll stop wanting to or has stopped wanting to, or that she'll die in her root life. And Mrs. Elm even tells her, like we were just saying, that she's lost that quote, in becoming everyone, you are becoming no one. Oh man, that that's so powerful because I feel like that's so true of a lot of things in life. Like anytime you overdo it, you you lose sight of your root. I mean, in this case for real, like you're losing sight of your root self, you're losing sight of your your identity identity yes for real it's an identity crisis is mm -hmm. what she's going through it was extremely powerful and so i love that mrs elm kind of like brings her back and they go on to discuss you know finding kindness or recalling where that kindness was shown in her root life and of course nora thinks of ash and decides to try the life where she said yes to meeting him for coffee and then at the time i made note i really loved another mrs elm quote of course where she says you don't have to understand life you have to live it and that's going to come up and i just kept thinking wow i need to remind myself that on a regular basis because i feel like that is a crisis i have all the time where i just have to have some understanding i need to be able to fit all of the pieces together and it's like you don't have to have all of that figured out no. you just have to do it yes and i mean obviously mrs alm is just a wealth of knowledge because what's her other big quote to learn is to live or to yeah. live is to learn either way like i mean i feel like it applies either way but it's yeah. just she's just so encouraging of like you need to like experience these things but you also can't lose sight of yourself and you can't lose sight of your your will and your drive and the things that you're passionate about and want to live for. I need a Mrs. Um. No, we all need, I mean, maybe, maybe what this is low key saying is we all need some Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> we need a little bit of God in our lives. <laughs> yeah. I don't disagree. Okay. A pearl in the shell. So Nora wakes up in bed, rings her on her ring finger, man is by her side and she doesn't even know for sure that that would be so uncomfortable but she doesn't know for sure if it's ash it's like she could have picked a life you know to go on this coffee date with ash but then that doesn't necessarily mean that she ended up with him like it could be a total right stranger. and i feel like she even like she's going through that possibility of like oh god like maybe i said yes but maybe i fell in love with the barista or maybe yeah. i fell in love with this other person that would happen to be at the coffee shop too or i ran into someone on the street yes. yeah 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 but so so yeah so she assumes it's him but can't be sure when she walks out of the room a little girl is standing there calling her mommy mommy and this is Nora. they're british they're from the uk so of course it's mummy mummy mama <laughs> not, not mom <laughs> mommy 
And Nora quickly says, all right, so this is my daughter. And <laughs> she's very hesitant at first to connect with her. Like, seems like she's avoiding eye contact, doesn't really want to respond to her. And so when she does start to talk with the little girl, the little girl had a nightmare about bears. And I mean, fitting. fitting. <laughs> I mean, and, did I not just give you life lessons about bears last episode? Bears, come on. Like, I mean, come on. <laughs> so Nora comforts her and the little girl is going to start giving her glimpses into this life that she has jumped into in this next chapter called The Game, which Nora is brilliant. This game, I was like, I need to remember this if I ever end up in another life. This game is amazing. So they do. They play this quote game where Molly answers questions that Nora asks because there are things that Molly, the little girl, is already going to know, which she should find comforting, as Nora says. And of course, it's helpful for Nora too. So in this, she finds out she is indeed married to Ash. So great coffee date. I think she even says that. Um, Living in Cambridge, Nora was teaching, but is now writing a book. Her brother is married and involved in their lives. That's big. They have a dog, Plato, also good. Mm-hmm. And Nora falls asleep next to Molly's bed that night. And please excuse like all my spelling, weird spelling. I wrote this on a plane. Oh, it's fine. I I get it. I can right. understand. <laughs> No, it's oh, I love, I love this game. I mean, like you said, like so smart of her to like come up with it because obviously she's like trying to get her bearings in this life, but also in a sense, very comforting for Molly. Cause it's all those like, you know, tell, okay, what are your truths? What are the things that you know to be true? So that way you can feel grounded and you can feel safe and whatever nightmare or whatever scary things going on in your life, like repeat these things out loud so that I, Nora Wink Wink, know what's going on and you feel safe and comforted, my sweet darling daughter. For Molly, it's almost it's almost like words of affirmation. Like mm-hmm. I know, but in a different context where you're just saying the things that are comforting to you. This next chapter is called The Perfect Life. And for me, I was initially so nervous based on the title of the chapter. I've had high hopes for Ash, and the last time we had a chapter that was called The Successful Life, it wasn't exactly successful. So Ash is there with coffee because he's a good husband, and he's going for a run, he's helping with Molly, and then he's going to head to the hospital for work. So when he does, Nora digs into her life, and it seems, as she says, quote, pretty good. She's taking in her surroundings in the house, the books that are there, music, photos, etc. And everything seems really nice to her, including her appearance and how she feels, because of course, she has to take note of that. She's got it going on. I mean, what else could she have asked for? She's got the husband, the daughter, the career. She's really got it all. I mean, it sounds like the perfect life. Well, and sounds as ideal. As we get into this further, I was so attached to this life. I know. Uh, and she was too. Yeah. Or she was trying to be. She was. She was trying to be. This next chapter is called A Spiritual Question for a Deeper Connection with the Universe. It's a mouthful. Nora starts to think that this life may be the life that she finds happiness. She notices that there aren't any drugs in the cabinet other than your usual Tylenol ibuprofen. She also doesn't have any self-inflicted scars. She only sees her C-section scar from when she had Molly. I can relate. Been there, done that. But I think, I mean, sorry to like cut you off really quick, but I feel like this is kind of important because in every other life she's had either like self-inflicted wounds from like cutting or, you know, like obviously being in a state of depression. And then also um, she's been on antidepressants just kind of checking in on her mental health and her mental well-being. So clearly this has been an issue throughout other lives that she's experienced. Right. It is. I mean, it has, I don't, I can't recall even a life where it doesn't seem like there was something, something to help. Exactly. Even if it was alcohol. I was just going to say that. <laughs> just going to say that. So Nora is spending a lot of time with Molly and with Ash, but 
Of course, you know, Ash is picking up when Nora is being odd or maybe doesn't recognize someone that they've known for years. It also seems in this life that things are pretty good with Izzy and overall Nora is feeling really grateful for everything that she has in this life. It's quote lovely which is just a very British way to put it. It's awesome. So while she's continuously thinking about how good she has it here There are, of course, times when she still feels a bit out of place or maybe doesn't know what she should be saying in a certain situation. And when that happens and Ash is there, he's just genuinely concerned for her, uh, which is the complete opposite of Dan, if we remember, who was always questioning and so accusatory. Uh, Ash is the total opposite of that. Which is kind of similar to her brother, Joe, as well. Because in the life where she was the Olympian and he was kind of a, a, her manager, I mean, granted, I think he was having more of a self-fulfilling, like, I'm managing money when I'm making my money off of you kind of thing. But equally, I feel like he was kind of concerned of, like, hey, are the medications working? And also, I mean, Ash seems more genuine about it, but I feel like she's had at least one other figure in her life that is cleared a little bit more than just like, oh, okay. Despite all of the happiness, Nora still recognizes that she isn't fully there. She's not forgetting the library. And if she was fully accepting of this life, her memories of the library would sort of fade away. When Nora finally sleeps with Ash because she's been putting it off, she still feels really guilty, like she's lying um, because she knows like she's not fully there, not completely in this life, even though, I mean, she's trying to make it hers. And I did really love this conversation when Nora asks Ash what he thinks about parallel universes because it just seems so normal and healthy for the two of them. And he says that he loves Nora for who she is, who he fell in love with, and Nora feels like she's becoming that or could become that. I love that it's just also so fitting that she is like this philosophical person as well, because it does fit well with the conversations that I'm sure they've had it a lot because like, philosophically like what if there's all these universes and what if there's all these things and you know just like larger than life conversations that I'm sure Ash is like oh just another Nora discussion classic Nora I wonder like good for him I wonder if that were I mean if you were if you were married to a philosopher I wonder if you would ever just be like Dude, I just need to talk about cheese. Yeah, Yeah, don't you ever think that, like, okay, shut up. We've already been over the universe a million times. The next chapter is Hammersmith, and Nora, Ash, and Molly are going to Hammersmith to visit her brother, Joe, and his husband, who will remain nameless on this podcast because you should read the book, and I'm not even going to try it so that I don't embarrass myself. While they're there, Nora sees a bottle of wine with Eduardo Eduardo Martinez on it, who was her husband in The Other Life with the Vineyard, and he's pictured there with a different woman. While they're there, Nora can't help but inquire about Joe's drinking habits, and really she just wants to know how he actually felt about her leaving the labyrinths, their band. And Joe admits to being a bit of a wanker for treating her so badly. And he actually says that he just didn't have a true understanding of mental health until he met his husband. I feel like that's huge. Like, that's a huge step. And I feel like I'm glad that she chose to ask it in a life where he's clearly a lot more stable. Oh, yeah. Like, he's not through because in other lives, he's either been dead or a recovering alcoholic just also been in a state of depression i mean when we very first met nora in her root life ravi joe's friend was the one who told us that he thought that joe was also depressed so it's it's kind of nice that 
Nora is able to pry this information when he's in such a stable mental state. In this next chapter, Tricycle, Nora has been in this life for weeks now. Um, really cool. She's even recalling memories that she didn't actually experience. Only the Nora who was originally in this life was actually there. Every now and then she'll still forget something important, but it just seems like things are going really well. And she loves spending time with Molly. I mean, really loves it. And then one day Molly falls off of her tricycle and Nora hurries over to ask if she's okay. When Molly responds that it's similar to a previous accident, Nora doesn't recall what that was. But rather abruptly, Nora feels such a strong sense of love for Molly and realizes that maybe love was the main element that was missing from her root life, not necessarily purpose, but love instead. And despite the fact that she feels it so strongly here, there is still an underlying sense of dread that something still isn't right, quote, amid the rightness. And she wants to go to Bedford to see a friend. This is just making my heart ache through all of this. Obviously, you can sense it as a reader too, what is inevitably coming and this sense of dread that something is going to change and she's going to head back to the library. Despite the fact that everything seems to be going so well after so many trials. And like, what a sad kind of realization though to notice that she's never like felt loved or has felt love so strongly before yeah i mean that's i feel like that's a huge turning point because at first she was like oh maybe it's just purpose you know no one needs me but then she's realizing like it wasn't just purpose it was literally love like i had no one that i felt like i loved so deeply and cared about so deeply but equally she didn't feel like she had anyone that loved her back so deeply and to realize that like especially like in a child I feel like is huge I mean being a mom myself I feel like I started to recognize that you know especially after having Leo but it's just such an overwhelming sense of emotion that she's feeling all of a sudden that was misplaced all along because she really thought it was you know she needed purpose she needed to have a drive she needed all these other things and it really kind of just boils down to being loved and being cared for that or loving someone and it's this intense emotion and she also feels like she could lose it at any point and that's just heartbreaking this next section is called no longer here and Nora is visiting a care home, like an assisted living facility. And when she's there, she runs into her neighbor. But when she tries to speak with him, he doesn't know who she is in this life because they're not neighbors or weren't neighbors in this life. So she talks to the receptionist to try and visit with Mrs. Elm in this life. But she's told that Mrs. Elm is, quote, no longer here. Mrs. Elm had actually passed away a few weeks ago in this life, is what is said. So sad. I know. And what makes me so sad is, um, and I don't know if you're going to touch on this in this next chapter, but, like, she had brought, like, her chess board and all this stuff to, like, go play chess with her one last time. Or, like, just to, like, keep her company. And I'm like, oh, my God, she's gone. <laughs> It's so sweet. It's so thoughtful. So it's kind of a, I mean, again, maybe a wake up call of like, act now, do things now. Don't wait until it's too late. In this next chapter called An Incident with Police, Nora is starting to feel that tingling sensation that she might fade away. And as a reader, I'm just there like, no, 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 hold on. And so she's walking through Bedford, and while she's doing that, she sees Carrie Ann, who we might remember from the first third of the book. But this version of Carrie Ann is no longer the bubbly, upbeat woman from the beginning of the story. The Carrie Ann in this life is so tired, and it shows. And here, 
specifically in this chapter, it's just crazy to see and think about how all of the little things in Nora's life are having bigger impacts on other people. You know, the smallest or littlest things that you wouldn't think may be connected are in some way, shape, or form impacting her neighbor or Carrie Ann in some way. What I think, though, is kind of cool in, in both this life and in Nora's root life is Carrie Ann still remembers her from being, like, the really talented swimmer that she was. They almost have, like, a similar conversation, except that Carrie Ann is just all of a sudden not this bubbly person, but she does. Mm-hmm. She, re- she recalls all of that potential that everyone saw in Nora. While Nora is there, she sees two boys being arrested by the police, and she notices that one of them is Leo, the boy that she was helping with um, for piano lessons. He's been caught stealing, and on top of that, he had a knife on him when the police got to him. So she tries to defend him, and she's telling the police that he's a good kid. Of course, he doesn't know who she is in this life. And again, it's just another example of something that she was doing that was having a larger impact on someone, even though she couldn't see that in her root life at the time. But all of this time, Nora still feels herself fading, but is trying to hold on. This is, it's this chapter that makes me think of the movie. It's a wonderful life because it's, it's these little things happening where she's realizing like I wasn't there to give him piano lessons so he got in with a bad crowd so then he is now this you know known vandal like the police are like oh yeah Leo we know him like we've arrested him before kind of thing and she's over here thinking like about his mom and how what a sweet kid he used to be and it's it's these little moments just like I wasn't there for him I wasn't able to be the teacher that he needed or ever because I never worked at string theory and I never did this and you know all of these things are like I said it reminds me of it's a wonderful life I feel like a lot of these things are also starting to show her you know I know we talked about how she realizes it realizes it was love that was missing but she did have a purpose Mm -hmm. like you know big or small I don't even know if that you if you can really label it that way but serving as a role model for him and helping Leo in this instance, like she did have a purpose mm-hmm. in that and in many other ways too. And a lot of people saw that in her. And like, even the same with maybe her old neighbor. I mean, I know he's in a care facility now, but like she remember at the beginning of the story, she used to bring him like his medication or like groceries or just little acts like that. And now he's in a care facility. So if she would have been that person to be able to do that, maybe he would still be in his own home or just yeah, very little purposeful things in her life could have made a huge impact for other people. They did. In this next chapter, A New Way of Seeing, Nora finds that string theory is once again closed in this life. Same sign. But as she's looking around the rest of the town, it seems like she's really seeing it truly for the first time and never fully appreciated it before. She heads back to Cambridge and, I mean, thinking about Mrs. Elm and her neighbor and Carrie Ann and maybe starting to see the impact that she'd had, um, even if it wasn't intentional on other people. But she's trying desperately to hang on to this life and because of how good it is, but she knows it's really only a matter of time before she's going to leave. Which is crazy because, I mean, again, if you recall from every other time, she has to find a disappointment in life yeah. in order to fade. So it's clear that even though this is such a wonderful life and everything is going so positively, there are still disappointments that appear that are making it easy, I guess, for her to slip away because she's recognizing these little things, these imperfections are occurring around her. This next chapter is The Flowers Have Water, and it's just so sad Nora rushes to see Ash and Molly and is hugging Molly and telling them how much she loves both of them and the dog. And maybe there are other things to say, but telling them how much she loves them is just the most important thing in that moment. And Ash can definitely sense that something is wrong. And so she 
tries to brush it off and says, you know, I'll tell you later, but Nora is already fading away. In the chapter called Nowhere to Land, Nora screams in a, quote, sad fury as she ends up back at the Midnight Library. And it's such a devastating description, but I love that you can just feel the frustration and the anger and the sadness all combined with that. All she wants to do is go back to that life or go to the life that is as close as possible to it because as we know from the rules she can't repeat that she wants something close um it's not going to work that way though and on top of that the midnight library is falling apart the ceiling is falling the books are going up in flames the entire place is on a path to be destroyed so Nora and Mrs. Elm shelter under a table from the debris, and that's when Nora sees her watch move past midnight. Mrs. Elm tells Nora that she must have felt deep down that that life wasn't for her, and she tells her she needs to get out of the library. Nora doesn't want to die, and there's one book that won't be on fire that will get her out. And before she goes to find it, Mrs. Elm hands her a pen and tells her to, quote, live. Because also once the library is gone, so will this version of Mrs. Elm. This was like the most scripted chapter. Again, like if I could see this played out on film, I want to see this entire execution of like burning down the library. Everything's crumbling. Yes, because it's so visual. Like you have to read this chapter to like really get the visual of it because Again, like this only exists because of Nora's mindset. I mean, Mrs. Elm in the state she is, the library in the state she is. So, like, clearly big changes are occurring. Her sad fury, all of her anger and emotions are driving this collapse around her, basically. This is, yeah, this is it. And it is. It's always been her emotions that are sort of triggering how the Midnight Library reacts. Or Next is... The chapter, Don't You Dare Give Up, Nora Seed. Time is counting down for Nora, or more like counting up, because the more time passes, the worse it is for her. She she has to get out. And she actually ends up pinned to the floor by some falling debris. And while she's there, she's thinking of all of the experiences she's had because of the Midnight Library, but she's not sad by not being those people or doing all of those things in the lives that she's experienced. In a way, she is still all of those things, and she's really inspired by the possibilities. Her perspective has completely shifted. Nora realizes that she is nothing but potential, and we can see that as a reader, and she sees it in herself. From a distance, Mrs. Elm yells at her to not give up, and she makes her, so Nora makes her way to the only book that is not on fire. This book is her root life. It's the life that started this entire thing, and it's blank. Nora begins to write, but at first can't seem to find the right words. So she tries a couple of different things until she finally puts, quote, I am alive. I love that. I love, again, the visual, like just the crazy, like you can see the kaleidoscope of her lives running through her head as she's pinned under this debris. And then for her to like come out of the rubble and be like, God damn it. I want to live. (laughs) She does to live. (laughs) I am alive. And And of course, like Mrs. Allen, like, live, Nora, live. (laughs) And she does. She wakes up in the chapter Awakening. And but I should say she wakes up but she's like not in good shape. Oh yeah, she's not good. No, no. I think it's clear that she like OD'd or something. Yeah, like. things are not in a she's not well. She is not well. And neither am I. Yeah. <laughs> and Nora is scrambling for help and she ends up landing at her neighbor's door in the middle of the night and asks him to call for an ambulance. And I love that he is just like unshakingly like, yes, like, let me get you an ambulance. Like, no questions asked. Like, I will be here for you, which I feel like is kind of the first glimmer of like 
yo, Nora, people have loved you all along. Right. You just didn't see that. People care about you. Yes. Nora is in the hospital getting the medical attention she needs and being questioned by a nurse who she's telling that she's not suicidal anymore. And she removes her suicidal social media posts and writes something new, which takes us right into the next chapter called A Thing I Have Learned, parentheses, written by a nobody who has been everybody. And I honestly don't even know where to start to talk about this chapter. So many things to say. I think that this is so relatable for every person in every walk of life. Just, it's really easy to get sucked into the sadness of all of the what ifs and all of the things that you think you could be or wanted to be and didn't do or opportunities you missed out on or should have done something better. I mean, it's all of the regrets. It's all of the regrets that people, that is, it's like what ifs are also regrets in an instance. And so she is, she's going on and on about these, quote, we don't have to play every game, though, to know what winning feels like. We don't have to hear every piece of music in the world to understand music. I mean, and you don't. Yes, you can be all of those things, but ultimately, that's not what you need to do. And she, she finally says, quote, we only need to be one person. We only need to feel one existence. We don't have to do everything in order to be everything. She ends up saying, you know, at the end, like, yes, I just want, I just want to live. I just want to be alive. It, I mean, it gives you, quote, the feels, if you will. Like, it is, I mean, it's just such a purposeful statement, especially because we've had glimpses into the negative thoughts that Nora's had and also written on social media. And, and even in, like, song lyrics and poems and just all of these really, really different kind of darker places that she's been. And I love that this is one chapter that just kind of takes all of her learnings, all of her, not just experiences, but just the conversations that she's had with Mrs. Elm, like that one piece being that one piece. I mean, that's referring to her chess game where yep. Mrs. Elm gave her so much insight about like, yeah, you might just be a pawn, but the game isn't over until it's won. And I feel like that's, that's so insightful and just so encouraging in so many ways. So if you don't read the whole book, at least read, read those two pages. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And because they, and then reread them like a year later. Yeah. Because it's that impactful. And it may, and then reread them 10 years from now when you need a little reminding. Joe arrives at the hospital to see Nora and he's carrying a copy of National Geographic for her because he knows that she loves that. So sweet. He apologizes to her for not being there for her and says how he's also been struggling with his mental health. I mean, with drinking and between their mom passing away, but he's starting to get help. This is another thing too, you know, ultimately like everyone is going through something and mental health specifically is such a, it's a, it's something that happens a lot of the time behind closed doors. And I think that this resembles that a lot where you don't always know what someone else is going through. And just because they weren't there for you in the way that you wanted them to be or hoped that they would be, it might mean because they're, it might mean that they're going through, through something as well. Goodness. I could just like spit out the words. It'd be fine. I love what you're saying. <laughs> it's hard to get out. <laughs> I'm just not as articulate as Matt. Thanks, I know. Matt. God damn it, Matt. <laughs> so good. So well written. It's really a moment that Nora and Joe just realize how much they truly need each other in this life. And as they're leaving the hospital, Nora also hears back from Izzy, who, if we remember, she reached out to before she had decided to die as kind of like this last ditch call for help maybe. But Izzy says that she is coming back to the UK. So that's really exciting. Then she like wants to catch up. Like it was a, it was a positive message. It wasn't like, ew, why are you texting me? It was the whale pictures and uh, uh, letting her know that she's coming back around. Like I'd love to catch up with you kind of thing. Oh, my notes in this are so bad. It's not even <laughs> Nora also pulls up Ingrid to see how research in the is going in the Arctic. She also saw Ash as they were leaving the hospital, and she thinks maybe she'll ask him for coffee sometime 
And you know what, Nora, if there's a reality where this book continues, I hope that you did that. Joe is talking about a new career he's thinking about pursuing and how he met someone named Ewan, Ewan, we'll continue to debate that. And she's like, heck yeah, go for it, you know, start a new job, do whatever you think's going to make me happy, but you definitely have to date that guy since he was so happy with him in the other life. And then she gives Joe some Midnight Library advice saying, quote, you don't have to understand life, you just have to live. And when she's getting back home, she sees her neighbor and he's looking at her with such relief and happiness and she is so beyond thankful for him and him being there and helping her out because i mean like through all of this like yes mrs elm saved her life but equally in the root life her neighbor saved her life by being able to call 911 For this next chapter called The Volcano, Nora has realized that life is really all about perspective. And she's the same person, yet entirely different now. She reaches out to Leo's mom to emphasize just how talented he is and should continue to play piano even if she's not going to teach him. But the mom is like, no, 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 we definitely want you to still teach him. And she's also like, I'm sorry for the misunderstanding earlier. Like, Leo still wants to be your student. Everything's good now. Nora is realizing that she is no longer a black hole, and she never was. Instead, she finds she is a volcano, another symbol of life and fertilization that can grow a whole forest, as indicated by the book, just like our tree symbols that we've seen throughout. We're in our final chapter of the Midnight Library called How It Ends. Mrs. Elm is sitting at a care home playing chess and Nora joins her and says, you know, that she can every day. It's not a big deal. In this short time that Nora has recovered, she's already posted posters to teach piano and is helping at a local homeless shelter every week girl has hit the ground running to make some changes in her life. And as she's talking with Mrs. Elm, Mrs. Elm admits that it can get pretty lonely in this assisted living facility and that she even has her own regrets and life. I felt like that was a huge revelation because she was like, I wasn't the perfect parent and I wasn't the perfect wife and I wasn't even the perfect you know, librarian and educator for people. Like I was short fused and I wasn't always there for people. And because I feel like for so long in this book, Nora has her built up to be again, this comparison to God of like, she can do no wrong. She's always wise. She has no regrets. She's the one guiding me. And and turns out Mrs. Elm is just a person, just like Nora is. Just like the rest of us. Nora assures her, though, that she was always kind when she needed it and when she needed someone, which is just another theme that we've seen reoccurring throughout the novel. And she tells Mrs. Elm she's no longer alone on the chessboard. And then there are all the blank pages. Which I love, 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 love. Matt, you did it. You killed it. You killed it. (laughs) In a good way. Yes. Yes. Escaping the library through a blank yep. book where she gets to write her own life story. And and it just makes me think of that uh, freaking Natasha Bedingfield song. The rest is still unwritten. Oh I'm like, oh my God, this is perfect. <laughs> we can put a theme song to this book. Because <laughs> it is. Like, it's going to play it in the credits. <laughs> yes, yes. When they make this a movie, this will be the credit song. Oh my gosh. But it's just like so fitting of you can do anything with your life. It is so full of possibilities. You literally hear a bunch of blank pages, fill them out with what you want to do. And I just, I love that he, Matt incorporated that into this book because it is such a huge visual for the reader, but also like what an emotional and like huge thing to overcome for, for the characters in this book too. It's, it's, it is like the perfect ending. I really couldn't think of a better way. I'm just so pleased with how everything 
wrapped. Because he could have, he could have thrown in an epilogue. He could oh, have yeah. given us like a ten years later. This is where Nora is, and I love Nora, that yeah, he yeah. didn't. Yeah, right. Because he's like, she is right. writing her own life now. She is the author of her own book. It's, we are we are closing the library, and she's writing her book now. It's fantastic. Yes. And that is the Midnight Library. Yay! Oh we did it. We did it. Okay. Give a rating. Give your final review, final thoughts. Go. Okay. I, so I've already rated this on Goodreads and I stand by it. I'm giving this book a five-star review. Like it was, again, I've said it a trillion times at this point. It is not my typical genre and I just loved it. I loved the message. I loved the writing style. I loved every aspect that the character went through because it's so relatable and like such a hard topic and such a heavy topic to put into writing and Matt just nailed it. Like I think anyone can pick any chapter of this book and be like, yep, that's me. I get it. I now and now I can overcome it. And it's not just a self-help book. Let's dig you out of a hole, blah, blah, blah. It's like, Here's a story about a girl named Nora. And I like that. I love that aspect. It so is. Five out of five for me. Yes, it is. Oh my gosh, it's fantastic. And I agree. I love the message. Okay, I concur. I'm going five out of five yeah. on this There were so many things that resonated with me in the Midnight Library. I will say I love the message, love the symbolism. I loved how creative it was in finding the ties between different parts of the novel beginning to end. To me, the writing style was so impressive in having all of those connections. Also, mental health is a topic that is hard to articulate, and I think that that was accomplished here in such an incredible way. It's a hard topic to write about, to discuss, even read about at times. And this novel really accomplished that in such a sensitive and meaningful way. It's a powerful and memorable story. And I also think, I mean, going back to what you touched on as well, like this is also such a great book to set a reminder of like, people love you. You do have a purpose. You do matter. And even the most like, insignificant things that you might think don't impact anybody absolutely do and I just feel like that's a huge revelation in the way that people think and feel and how they process things because I mean someone might be thinking oh I you know I get groceries every day well you maybe made that cashier's day every day that you went and got groceries like you don't realize the impact that you have on people all of the different journeys that Nora goes on and how many different journeys people can go on that I feel like they forget about and they do, they get stuck in just this linear timeline that you feel like you have to stay in and the rigidness and, and you don't have to. And I think that this is a really good reminder for myself, for sure. And I need to be the person that does reread passages from this novel because it is an amazing reminder about all of the possibilities that are out there for everyone. Five stars all around. Round of applause. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Great we'll job, read Matt. again. Good job, Matt. Next up, we are starting a new novel and switching gears entirely, but we kind of felt like we needed to break into the Colleen Hoover world um, just because her books are obviously so well known and talked about. So we are going with maybe a lesser known one though, and we are reading Layla. So definitely very different. You know, we had rom-com and then we did the Midnight Library. So this is supposed to be a bit more of a thriller. Um, maybe trigger warning. It's hard to know since we haven't started it yet. Neither one of us have. But I would say that if you have read Verity or know anything about Verity, maybe proceed with caution, but we'll definitely have more information next week and can give you some specifics. Um, from what I do know about this, the there is some violence. So if that is at all triggering, it's definitely something to keep in mind. Maybe this isn't the novel for you. Um, it's going to be interesting to even break this into three parts because I feel like I normally read her books in 24 to 48 hours. So breaking into three will be quite challenging, but I'm excited and I have pretty high expectations, although 
that's backed me into a corner before with Colleen Hoover specifically, but I'm still looking forward to reading a new one of hers or one that I haven't read before. I'm going to want to like breeze through this novel. So we'll have to show some restraint. <laughs> All right. Good luck. Thanks. <laughs> you too. Okay. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Music for this podcast was created by Remington Haynes. Join the conversation by emailing us at narrativesandnightcaps at gmail.com or visit our website, narrativesandnightcaps.com. Until next time, we hope you're enjoying a wonderful narrative.